صلوا على محمد وآل محمد. For all of our shuhada, if we can begin with the recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين خاتم النبيين سيدنا الممجد بشيرنا المصدق المصطفى الأمجد محمود الأحمد أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين ولعنة الله على الظالمين من الأولين والآخرين أما بعد فقال الله سبحانه وتعالى في كتابه المجيد وفرقانه الحبيل وقوله الحق بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا آمنا بالله صدق الله العلي العظيم سلوا على محمد وآل محمد Awaited Savior of Humanity Imam Al-Mahdi عليه السلام my respected brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to our fifth week in which we are discussing Maqasid al-Sur, the goals and the themes of each chapter of the Holy Quran. Our first chapter, Surah Al-Fatiha, what did we state or reflect on was the theme of Surah Al-Fatiha? Who can remind me? Thank you. This was a cure. So this is a cure for every kind of da, every kind of illness. And so when we read every verse, we want to be able to see it in light of that maqsad, that goal, that theme of that chapter. Surah Al-Baqarah, what was the overriding theme of Surah Al-Baqarah? Everyone's scrambling through a little bit of their notes, looking down a bit worried. It was a reflection on the rise and fall of Banu Israel and how for us to build our own ummah in understanding the reasons as to why that particular community failed. Surah Al Imran, what was the theme of Al Imran? It was a history and development of the story of the Christians and the reasons as to why they fell. And it particularly looked at how to be an alaj for that, how to be a cure for that. In that instead of choosing certain prophets and neglecting others, that if they were to truly understand the story of Maryam alayhi salam, they would then be able to follow on the Al of Imran and 
to take on Ahlul Bayt after that as their leaders. Today, inshallah, we look at the theme of Surah An-Nisa, chapter number four of the Quran. Who can remind me what are the different ways in which we find out what is the maqsad of a particular surah? You can name any of them. What's the different ways we find out how to ascertain the theme? Number one, we look at the name of the surah. Good. Number two? Time and circumstances of revelation. Because the year or the years in which it is revealed in, or the surahs that came before or after it, will give us an understanding of what was occurring in the Muslim world at the time of revelation. Number three? The fawatih and the khawatim, the beginning and the end of each surah, because there must be a coherence, a consistency between what is said at the beginning of a speech and the end of a speech. Brilliant. Number three. And number four. The ahadith of Ahlul Bayt <laughs> that allow us to be able to see an insight in those. We also said in regards to number three, we break down the surah into groups of verses. We're able to see what the sub-themes of those verses are. And then we collectivize those to build an overarching theme or themes of a particular surah. Excellent. Surah An-Nisa, chapter number four of the Quran. This surah was revealed in the city of Medina. It has 176 verses. It was the 92nd surah. 92nd surah to be revealed, which we call the Tartib and Nuzuli. 92nd in order of revelation. As you know, it is number four in the collected version of the Quran. And importantly, it is revealed after Surat Al Mumtahina. Now we are going to have to spend some time looking at Surat Mumtahina without going into its theme too much because that will spoil by the time we get to that surah inshallah God grant us life and tawfiq but we need to be able to reflect on what is in Surat Mumtahina what was revealed immediately before it in order to understand the context of Surat An-Nisa which we will do in a minute inshallah we also need to look at other chapters of the Quran that are specifically revealed concerning issues in regards to women. Surah An-Nisa, of course, as you said, the first way to understand the maqsad of a surah is to look at the name of a surah. Surah An-Nisa, no points for telling me it is the chapter of the women. But what are the other chapters of the Quran that specifically address either women's issues or broader issues that might be concerning gender relations, marital relations, familial relations. What are the other surahs that speak to that effect? There are several that have been revealed. Mujadila Ahsant, number one. What else? Talaq, excellent. Number two. 
Surat Maryam, number three, very much about family relations and a feminist approach to matters. Surat Tahrim, excellent. Why Surat Tahrim? The wives of the Prophet causing annoyance to the Prophet And so it speaks about recourse in those matters Ahzab speaks about the wives of the Prophet Excellent So there are some chapters of the Quran That are specifically addressing these matters Not just An-Nisa Often a person may think The only chapter addressing primarily Its theme of women's issues Will be An-Nisa because it is named as such. That is not correct. Mujadila, Tahrim, Talaq, Maryam, matters in Ahzab. Surah Al-Baqarah also has verses that will be specific to this matter. And Surah Al-Mumtahina as well. So what I wish to be able to do is as a requisite to this discussion on the themes of Surah Al-Nisa, we need to do a couple of things. One, we need to mention generally in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes certain isharat, certain pointers and directions to the upliftment of women or women's suffrage in Islamic terms. And we also need to look at some of the discussions around Surah Al-Mumtahina and to see what immediately preceded Surah An-Nisa in order for us to see what was going on at that point in Revelation. So let us have a look first and foremost at Surah Mumtahina. If you will turn in your Qur'ans to Surah Mumtahina inshaAllah. <coughs> Now points for telling me what is chapter, which chapter number is Mumtahina without you checking it. Ten points. Anyone wants to guess? It's okay. You can you can't get you can't go from one to four. You know it's not one to four because we've just done we're doing which happens one to four. So you can guess from five to one hundred and fourteen. Excellent. Sixty. Ahsan. Chapter number sixty. Good job. Al Mumtahina. Chapter number sixty. What is the meaning of al-mumtahina? What's the meaning of an imtihan? Test. Ahsad. It's when you get examined. So al-mumtahina is the examined one. It is the examined woman. The woman that is to be tested and examined, inquired of, of her faith. Now let me give to you a brief history of the period of revelation of Al-Mumtahina and I want to be able to do some tafasir of maybe a couple of verses from verse 10 to maybe verse 12 or 13 but I don't want to spoil too much of Surah Mumtahina for you, right? So let's just have a look at this. Surah Mumtahina was revealed during and in the aftermath of the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah. Now you'll recall in the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah there were a number of conditions that were made upon the Prophet by the Quraysh that he decided to agree to that were seemed to be very strange for the believers 
for the Prophet to concede to. The one that is being centrally discussed in Surah Mumtahina, the condition that was placed by the Quraysh on the Prophet in this chapter was that if any women, sorry, if any men, not women, if any men were to leave the city of Mecca and come to the city of Medina to convert, to become Muslim, the Prophet must return the men back to Mecca. And if any man of Medina, believing man of Medina, or non-believing man of Medina, was to leave the city of Medina and go to Mecca and seek refuge with the Quraysh, with the Mushrikeen, the Quraysh did not have to return that man back to Medina. There were many other conditions that the Prophet had to agree to. But this is the central one for Al-Mumtahina or the reason of revelation for Al-Mumtahina. So let me just make sure you understand. Men are to be returned to the Mushrikeen, but men are not to be returned back to the Mu'mineen if they flee them. Now the Prophet agreed to this. And I'm sure you will all recall certain famous narrations around this event. For example, the second caliph said famously, Never did I disbelieve in the prophethood of Muhammad more than at this moment when he signed this treaty. Whilst Ali ibn Abi Talib was the one who refused to expunge the word Rasul for Rasulullah in the treaty, <coughs> saying, Once I have written the, the Prophet is the Messenger of Allah, never can I expunge that word from this document. The Prophet had to expunge it because Imam refused to do so. Now, in verse number 10 of Surah Mumtahina, it speaks to women, not men, women who flee Mecca and decide to become believing women. You see, when the Prophet accepted that treaty of Hudaybiyyah, the wording was specifically that he would agree to send back men from Mecca, but not women. So when women decided to flee Mecca and become believers and arrive at the gates of Medina, the Prophet was not obligated to send any woman back to Mecca, to the polytheists, to their families, to their husbands. However, the Prophet, of course, may not have known whether those fleeing women to the city of Medina were genuine believers. <coughs> were they spies of Mecca? Were they just fleeing because they didn't like Mecca? Were they actually believers? This is why the Prophet said, or the Quran said, examine them. Mumtahina, examine them for their faith. If you find in them faith, they are welcome to stay in Medina. 
if they if you do not find honesty and faith in them then of course you can't harbor these individuals lest they are working against you send them back hence the name of the chapter al mumtahina now let's read verse 10 and verse 11 and let's look at the specifics around welcoming fleeing women from Makkah to Medina and what happens if a Muslimah flees Medina to become Mushrika? Because both series of events may take place. Let's read it together, inshallah. And this will give you a wonderful background to what is taking place in Surah An-Nisa. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, O you who believe. Ida ja'akumul mu'minatu muhajiratin when a believing woman, meaning person from Mecca, she's a believer in reality, when she flees, when she becomes muhajirat, when she emigrates from Mecca to Medina, what should you do? Examine her for her faith. Allah then continues, Allah knows best their faith, whether they're being truthful or not. Now, all the women had to do at that time was bear testimony to faith. Literally, the two lines of shahadatain were sufficient for them to be believed as mu'minat and housed in Medina and not to be returned back to the city of Mecca. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu idha ja'akumul mu'minatu muhajiratin famtahinuhunna Allahu a'lamu bi'imanihinna فَإِنْ عَلِمْتُمُوهُنَّ مُؤْمِنَاتٍ فَلَا تَرْجِعُوهُنَّ إِلَى الْكُفَّارِ If you find them to be believing women, do not send them back to the unbelievers. Why not? Firstly, you weren't obligated to in the treaty. You only agreed to men. And secondly, is it permissible for a mu'mina to be married to a kafir? No. So how can Islam then send a mu'mina back to Mecca to be married to a mushrik, to a kafir. It's not permissible. فَلَا تَرْجِعُوهُنَّ إِلَى الْكُفَّارِ لَا هُنَّ حِلٌّ لَهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحِلُّونَ لَهُنَّ Allah is now emphasizing neither are these women, believing women, lawful for those husbands, nor are such men lawful for them. وَآتُوهُنَّ مَا أَنْفَقُوهُ this is important. And give them what they have spent. Wa'a to whom? Give to those men what they have spent in their dowries upon their former wives. Give whom? Which men? Ahsant. The mushrikeen of Mecca have given dowries to their wives. The women have left Mecca to Medina. Islam accepts them, protects them. Now, because they cannot be married to a mushrik, Islam immediately divorces them. They are free of their former partners. Who is financially in loss? The men. Because they have given dowries to their former wives. But which men? Kuffar, mushna, uh, uh, mushrikeen, men. Allah says here, 
Beitul Mal, the public treasury, returns money from Medina to Mecca to the polytheistic men who have lost out because they have paid dowries and Islam has cut their ties from their women. You follow? Tell me, is that just? Look how just it is. Allah is saying, I'm not only as God caring about the rights of Muslims, the rights of the kuffar have to be looked after as well here. وَآتُوهُمْ مَا أَنْفَقُوا Give to them what they have spent in these dowries. وَلَا جُنَاهَ عَلَيْكُمْ أَن تَنْكِحُوهُنَّ إِذَا آتَيْتَمُوهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ Give to them, the mushrikeen, what they have spent. And no blame attaches to you, Ya Rasulullah, you who believe, in marrying them when you give them their dowries. So now these women have been divorced by Islam. They are now free women. They marry believing men in the city of Medina. The believing men have to give dowries to the women, which means they now have two dowries. Neither do they have to give back the first dowry, but they also get entitled to a second dowry. وَلَا جُنَاهَ عَلَيْكُمْ There is no problem, no sin upon you. أَن تَنْكِحُوهُنَّ If you marry them. إِذَا آتَيْتَمُوهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ When you give to them their ujur, their ajr, their reward, their dowry. وَلَا تُمْسِكُوا بِعِسَمِ الْكَوَافِرِ وَاسْأَلُوا مَا أَنْفَقْتُمْ وَلْيَسْأَلُوا مَا أَنْفَقُوا It continues. And hold not to the ties of marriage of unbelieving women. And ask for what you have spent. And let them ask for what they have spent. That is Allah's judgment. Hakim. Now continues, verse 11. وَإِن فَاتَكُمْ شَيْءٌ مِّنْ أَزْوَاجِكُمْ إِلَى الْكُفَّارِ فَآقَبْتُمْ فَآتُوا الَّذِينَ ذَهَبَتْ أَزْوَاجُهُمْ مِثْلَ مَا أَنْفَقُوا Now, if a woman from Medina, a mu'mina from Medina, leaves Medina to go to Mecca, she of course is now separated from her husband. Her husband, the mu'min, in Medina had given dowry to his wife, thinking his wife was a believer. She left Medina to go to Mecca. Who's lost out? The man. Allah says it again, Baytul Mal, the public treasury, has to give back the dowry to the man that he lost out on. So look at this. The mushrik gets back what he paid. The new mu'mina is entitled now to two dowries, keeps the first, gets the second. And the mu'min who lost out in giving the dowry to the woman that left and departed to Mecca, he gets his return back to him, so he's not at loss. Excuse me, can I ask a question? Where is it said that you have to give from the dowry? This is the tafsir of this. Okay. The Prophet is being told, you have to give. Right, so it's not his personal wealth, it's Baytul Mal. It's the public treasury. And then verse 13, Ya أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ amanu la تَتَوَلَّ قَوْمًا غَذِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ It might have been that some of the women were missing their family and friends 
in Mecca, Allah says, لا تتولى قوما غضب الله عليهم Don't make friends with such people whom Allah's wrath is upon them. Don't worry about it. You're with the mu'mineen now. Yeah? Now the point I'm raising here is that the series of verses immediately prior to An-Nisa are Al-Mumtahina and are addressing rights not just of women, not just of men, but even the kuffar and the mushrikeen. And look how much justice and equity there is addressing these issues. Now, if you were a woman who was arriving in Medina and seeing this justice, or you were a woman who was fleeing Medina and going to Mecca and seeing this justice, surely in knowledge of how women were treated in the years before by the polytheists, by the pagans, by the Arab system, when you compared the system immediately prior to the Prophet and revelation versus this, you would appreciate the difference between the two in how the Prophet was establishing rights for everyone within society. Now immediately after comes Surah An-Nisa, which is now addressing well, I can't tell you what it's addressing because that's for you guys to figure out at the end of the lesson. But it's addressing women's rights, as you know. Do you not imagine that if a whole chapter is following on from the type of messaging coming from Al-Mumtahina, you would also have an appreciation. You would also have a buy-in. You would also have an understanding of those verses in An-Nisa by virtue of the appreciation of the ground that has been laid from Al-Mumtahila. Can so, I just ask you one very quick please. question? Going back to this ayat number 10. Yes. Would you say it in short that a Muslim man or a woman would not be able to marry a non-Muslim? No. A, mus a Muslim man can't, um, uh, yeah, can't marry a non-Muslim or a woman either, he or she? No, that would be a different issue that comes up in another set of verses. Okay, not in this not set. Not in this set of verses, yeah. So, this is what is Al-Mumtahina, and the idea was to set the ground for women's rights, as many other verses do. Now, I want to just be able to mention some of the verses that talk about women's rights generally in Surah Al-Baqarah, so that you, again you can see the verses that have already gone. Not just Al-Mumtahina, but other verses that have been re revealed, as we told you, Baqarah comes before An-Nisa, not only, you know, now, but in the, in the series of Revelation, in the Tartib of Nuzuli, as well as in your order of reading as well. So I'll just give you two verses or a couple of verses, maybe three verses for you to appreciate. Number one, chapter 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 2 to 8. Towards the end of the verse, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Walahunna Mithlulla the Alehinna Bil Maaruf, Walahunna, and for her, or for them, but Hunna in the feminine plural, Walahunna Mithlulla the Alehinna, what is upon them, or oh sorry, what is for them, the rights that are for them, women. Mithlulladhi are like those, are equivalent of those alayhinna, the rights that are upon them. 228, Surah Al-Baqarah, 228, towards the end of the verse. 
What is for them is equal to that which is upon them. بالمعروف, in that which is known by the urf, acted upon by the urf. Everybody there? So this is a verse of equality. Absolute equality. I repeat. This is a verse demonstrating equality of rights between men and women. After that comes, in the same verse, at the end of that verse, And upon men is a degree of responsibility over, ma- over women. In which cases? Responsibility of the house. Protection of the house. Protection of the family. Principle is that there is equality between rights of man and woman. And what the fuqaha then say, إِلَّا مَا خَرَجَ بِالدَّلِيلِ Except where there is an evidence to say otherwise. وَلِلْرِجَالِ عَلَيْهِنَّ دَرَجَةً In some cases a man is more responsible by one daraja over a woman. This is in Al-Baqarah. It's telling you equality. Now you all know what, I don't need to re-repeat and re-repeat what the rights or lack thereof for women at that time were. Buried alive, no rights to education, no rights to their own wealth, inherited by men, prostituted out by men to pay off their debts. The end. The list is endless. Allah says, That what is the rights that are for women is the same. It is equivalent as to what is upon her. If you turn to... Chapter number 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 235. I'm just showing you verses about women and protection of women that have come already, that An-Nisa is going to build on. It's not going to come with something starting. It's building on Al-Baqarah, building on Al-Mumtahina. Verse 235. This is very interesting, and I, I um, emphasize this to sisters and to brothers. Brothers, in the sense that when you're speaking to someone, and I'm speaking to someone for marriage, and women for their own protection, how Quran is trying to protect women from, from, from abuse or protect them from manipulation. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. وَلَا جُنَاهَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي مَا عَرَّذْتُمْ بِهِ مِنْ خِطْبَةٍ نِسَاءِ أَوْ there's no blame on you if you speak indirectly to a woman for a marriage or you keep the proposal that you have for marriage in your heart. There's no problem if you do either of these two things. Allah knows that you will mention them. But do not give them a promise in secret. Unless you promise, unless uh, do not give them a promise in secret, unless you speak in a lawful manner. Now, one of the scholars talks about this and says that in the Arabic language, you also have what's known as the mukhalifa, the opposite meaning. So you have the meaning, and you have the opposite of what it's telling you. So it's saying, don't speak privately for long. The moment you have the decision that you want to marry that person, bring it out. Don't keep it secret. 
the idea is for a man who's proposing or speaking to her so that if it's kept secret for long, things can go wrong. Manipulation can take place. No one else knows that we're talking. No one else we're going together. The moment it's in your mind, make it known to a family member, yours or hers or both. That way she is protected from any potential abuse or manipulation. Quran is saying, make sure that the conversation that is private is as short as possible. The moment you have decided to marry that person, let the right people know. It doesn't have to be announced, you know, on Kushali with everything in writing. And, you know, uncle comes up and says, you know, you know, what is this, the, the thing that, you know, always, we'd like to take announcement or take a you know, to the following engagements. No, mom, dad, they know that's enough. But that way, there's no chance of that person being abused, being manipulated. Okay. So here, I'm just showing you there are verses after verses after verses. And I can go on, but that's not the purpose of the discussion. I could show you dozens of verses where there's specific, wherever there's weakness in regards to how women's rights were, there was immediate strength given to them. Now, let us continue on in Surah An-Nisa. Having seen the background of Surah An-Nisa in Al-Muntahina and Al-Baqarah and elsewhere, it is useful for us now to look at some of the ahadith that come from Ahlul Bayt, salawatullahu salamu alayhi majma'een, around the fadail of the surah. What are the benefits of reciting this particular surah? Al-Akram sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, the Holy Prophet of Islam is narrated to have said the following. من قرأ سورة النساء فكأنما تصدق على كل مؤمن ومؤمنة ورث ميراثا وأعطي من الأجر كمن اشترى محررا وبرئ من الشرك وكان في مشيئة الله من الذين يتجاوزوا عنهم The Prophet says whoever recites Surah An-Nisa it is as if he has been charitable to every male and female believer. How many believers are there? How many Muslims are there? Yeah, let's just say 1.5 billion, 2 billion. Yeah. It is as if you have been charitable to all of them. Now, if you want to be pedantic, the actual hadith says mu'min and mu'mina. Some people believe that the mu'min and mu'mina is solely Shia of Ahlul Bayt <sighs> This is mentioned in a hadith some places, but at the time of revelation, this was never the case. At the time of the zahir of Quran, mu'min and mu'mina was not regarding wilaya of Ali ibn Abi Talib so if this hadith is sound and it's from the Prophet, it means all Muslims. That you have given sadaqah to all Muslims. Whoever recites Surah An-Nisa, it is as if he has been charitable to every male and female believer. And he will be given in reward as if he has bought someone's freedom. وَأُعْطِيَ مِنَ الْأَجْرِ كَمَنِ اشْتَرَى مُحَرَّرًا It is as if you have made someone حر, free. You've bought the slave and freed them in the way of Allah. وَبَرِئَ مِنَ الشِّرْكِ And it is as if that you are free from shirk. 
This is very important. This part of the hadith is very important to the theme of Surah An-Nisa. وَبَرِئَ مِنَ الشِّرْكِ You are free, innocent, dubara'a. You are free of shirk. وَكَانَ فِي مَشِيئَةِ اللَّهِ مِنَ الَّذِينَ يَتَجَاوَزُ عَنْهُمْ And you will be considered by the will of Allah amongst those who has their sins overlooked. Insha'Allah. Second hadith. عَنْ زِرِبْنِ حُبَيْشْ عَنْ عَلِيِّنَ عَلِيهِ السَّلَامِ Imam Ali alayhi salam is narrated to have said, مَنْ قَرَأَ سُورَةَ النِّسَاءِ فِي كُلِّ جُمُعَةٍ أَمِنَ مِنْ ذَغْتَةِ الْقَبْرِ Whoever recites Surah An-Nisa every Friday, he is secure from the squeezing of the grave. May Allah protect us. Now, There are certain verses I wish to be able to start with in a minute. Let's start with the opening, the fawatih and the khawatim of the surah. Then what I wish to be able to do is to point to you to several verses that address one element of the theme. And then I will try to go through what are the chunks of verses and what those groups of verses, their themes are. And then we build the entirety of the theme together, insha'Allah. So, if you open Surah An-Nisa, verse 1, what do you see as the standout points of this particular surah? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ya ayyuhan nas. Nas, mankind, mankind. So as you know, sometimes Allah will address Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. Sometimes Ya ahlil kitab. This is important. This is addressing mankind. Ittaqu rabbakum. Have taqwa of your Lord. Be careful of your duty. Be conscious of your duty. Now, you'll be like, well, there's... Taqwa everywhere in the Quran. Well, tell me which verse is not telling us to be muttaqi. No, no. The opening words are important. The closing words here are important. Taqwa is very specific here. It's taqwa in relation to what? An-Nisa. It's not going to be only An-Nisa. But if there's the name and there's an opening of the verse, there's a relationship between these two things. اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة. Allah has created you of the same kind. You see, if people were able to be so oppressive to women, they will also be oppressive to others that they could get away with being oppressive to. This is also very important in the theme of what I'm telling you. Who else might people be oppressive to if they can get away with it? Children and elderly. Children, elderly. Slaves. Slaves. Orphans. Widows. Enemies. People you dislike. If you have an opportunity to get one up over such people, people who are in a weaker position to you, then you will do so. 
But if you truly believe them to be equals, you will never treat someone that way. You can take advantage of someone who's mustada'af, weak, downtrodden, the du'afa. But if you don't see them as du'afa, you don't see yourself as over them, you won't treat them that way, will you? اِتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ مِن نَفْسٍ وَاحِدًا You all come back to one initial point of creation. Adam alayhi salam is your forefather ancestrally. Therefore, there is no difference between you, man or woman, black or white, Arab or Ajam, young or old. You are all coming from an equal point. وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً Everything is equal here. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ And be careful. Again, taqwa is mentioned again in the beginning of this verse. It's mentioned twice. Should be an indication as to what's going on in this surah. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ And be careful of your duty to Allah by whom you demand on one another your rights. So, men demand rights from women. Women are demanding rights from men. Anyone who is different from you is also going to be able to demand their rights from you. What was Al-Mumtahina about? Even giving your rights to or giving rights to Kuffar and Mushrikeen. You demand rights from one another. Tasa'aluna. You are asking about rights. What are harm and the ties of relationships that you have to people that are proximate to you? Inna Allah kana alaykum. Raqiba, surely Allah is ever watchful over you. What do you get from this verse? What's the sense here? Give it to me in a sentence. Give it to me in a couple of sentences. What's the theme here you can get from verse 1 of An-Nisa? Equality Equality between genders, equality between everyone. Everyone. The only thing, as you know, that differentiates you in the eyes of Allah is what? Inna akramakum indallahi atqaqum. Other than that, you are absolutely equal and you demand rights from upon yourselves and upon those people who are close to you. Therefore, Allah is saying, I'm now watching over you. What do you think this verse is going, this whole chapter is going to be talking to you about? I can't tell you that yet. Not just women, remember. We'll come to it, inshallah. <laughs> Turn to the last verse, the Khatim. Khatima, the last ayah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Yastaftunaka istifta'. Fatwa. The root is fatwa. They are asking you for a decision. A fatwa, making the law. This is important. They are asking you for law, Ya Rasulullah. Laws in regards to whom? What did the opening verse say? Tasa'aluna bihi. You're seeking rights over each other, all groups of each other that you might normally treat as da'if under you, weaker under you. Wara'arham and those people who are proximate to you. 
Allah is going to be watchful over you. Last verse. يَسْتَفْتُونَكَ They're going to ask you about these things. Say, Allah gives you a decision concerning the person who has neither parents nor offspring. If a man dies and he has no son and he has a sister, she shall have half of what he leaves and he shall be her heir if she has no son. But if there are two sisters, they shall have two thirds and so on. At the end of the verse, يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ أَن تَذِلُّوا Allah makes clear to you his rulings lest you err. وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٌ Allah knows all things. So the opening is telling you, be conscious of your duty to Allah, about rights over all the different peoples that you think you have rights over and people who have rights over you. Those people who are close to you, Allah is ever watchful. In the last verse, Allah is giving you a specific rule, a specific fatwa about one particular mas'ala. He's giving you laws on how to deal with whom? A person who has no parents and no offspring. A person whose parents have died and have no offspring. So they, when they inherit, they can't give up to their parents and nor can they give down to someone because they don't have any children. What's the ruling concerning such a person who is in a weakened position? They're on their own. They have no one above them in their parents to look after them. No one below them to take after them. What's the ruling regarding such a da'if person? Lonely person. Weakened person within society. Allah is going to give you a ruling here. Allah wants to guide you so that you're not misguided. Allah knows all things. So this gives you a sense of the opening, sense of the closing. Now you'll get the entirety of the middle, inshallah. Let's have a look at some of these points. What I wish to be able to do is to show you some individual verses and then groups of verses. And let's have a look at some of the individual verses that stand out in this particular chapter. Start with verse 26, please. Surah Nisa, verse 26. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Everybody's there? Yuridullahu liyubayyina lakum. What was the last verse? Allah said he wants to make clear to you. Verse 24. Yuridullahu liyubayyina lakum. He wants to make clear to you. Wayahdiyakum. And guide you to what? سُنَنَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَيَتُوبَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ To the ways of those before you. He wants to guide you to those people before you. Meaning prophets. The righteous who came before you. He wants to guide you to their ways. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Because we have a balance here. What we're trying to understand is the best way to live for our own time versus Allah guiding us to people of a past era. To what extent is there progression here, you would ask? Critically, you would ask that question. How can you be future oriented? How can you perceive the trend of women and those who are downtrodden in terms of rights going like this? Whilst Allah is saying, I want you to go backwards. 
How do you reconcile those two things? It's for you to reflect on, inshallah. Verse 40. Again, remember, we're talking about Surah An-Nisa, primarily of women and other groups who will have rights over you. Traditionally, who may not have been given their rights because they were considered to be weak in society. I'm giving away a theme here. So the first verse I pointed to you was, Allah wishes to show you how the people before you, the righteous people before you lived. One. Two, verse 40. Now, if Allah is going to give you rules, as you can see, about rights and rules specifically about relationships, someone might say, I feel a bit left out here. I'm given half of inheritance. I'm not given this right. I'm not given that right. Why is he given that? Why is that given? Inna Allaha la yadlimu mithqala dharra. Allah does not do an atom's weight worth of injustice in his rulings. وَإِن تَكْ حَسَنَةً يُذَاعِفْهَا وَيُؤْتِي مِنْ لَدُنْهُ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا If it is a good deed that you do, he multiplies it. If you submit to Allah and follow his deed, he will multiply and he will give from himself a great reward. Verses 123 to 125. These are other standout verses in relation to the title of the chapter and the opening and closing verses. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Laysa bi amaniyikum wala amaniyi ahlil kitab. These things, these laws, shall not be in accordance with your own vain desires. Allah is not interested in how you want to have relationships with women. With a tam, with those people of your family members, he's doesn't he's not going to bend his rules to accommodate your vain desires. One twenty three, amani yekum, wala amani ahlil kitab. He shall not do things in accordance with your vain desires, nor with the vain desires of the followers of the book. Man Whoever does evil, he shall be requited with it. وَلَا يَجِدْ لَهُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلِيًّا وَلَا نُصِيرًا Verse 125 وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ وَجْهَهُ لِلَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ وَاتَّبَعَ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا Allah is going to point you going back to those people. He said, I want to point you back to certain people. Who has a better religion than the one who submits himself entirely to Allah? He is the doer of good to others and follows the millah of Ibrahim. Like the first verse I told you about, verse 26, Allah is pointing you to the people of came before. Verse 131. Let's have a look at 131. Yes. So, it is, or if you look at the preceding verses, Allah talks about how you dealt with people, which we'll come to. But specifically in these sets, it's about how you deal with your enemies. So, I'll come to it, but if you, if you, if you see it uh, from... Mm, 
Yeah, from verse 83, you will see that there is a whole series of verses about the treatment of your enemies, the people that you consider to be weaker than you, either on the battlefield or off the battlefield. So Allah is saying he's not going to bend the rules of how you deal with people to your vain desires. Verse 131. Again, these verses are in relation to the chapter title and the opening and the closing of the surah. Verse 131. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Whatever is in the heavens or whatever is in the earth is Allah's. Do you want to also be for Allah like everything else in creation? وَلَقَدْ وَسَّيْنَا الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ We enjoined those who were given the book before you. Allah is pointing you to things that came before you. وَإِيَّاكُمْ And to you. To do what? أَنِتَّقُ اللَّهِ That you should be conscious of Allah. There's an equality between those people that came before you and you. You are both expected in your enjoyment to be muttaqi. وَإِن تَكْفُرُوا And if you are to disbelieve فَإِنَّ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Allah, everything belongs to him in the heavens and the earth. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَنِيًّا حَمِيدًا Allah is self-sufficient, praiseworthy above you. Doesn't need you to, if you don't want to believe, you don't want to act how he's told you, that's up to you. He's not in need. Last verse to show you about the themes. Of, of, of the title in the beginning and the end And then we go into the chunks of the verses Verse 160 This is actually mentioned several times About the Jews and the Christians But I'm just giving you one example Yeah the iniquity, the dhulm of those who are Jews, did we disallow to them the good things? Allah had to stop for them the good things which had been made lawful for them. Why? Because they decided to make good things haram upon themselves. We mentioned this in Surah Al-Baqarah, by the way. So they used to make good things haram upon themselves. What did they make that were haram upon themselves? What did Allah have to make more difficult for them to straighten them out as a people? Meat. Meat. The issue of Saturdays, how they treated their women. All of these matters they made more difficult for themselves and so Allah made it more difficult for them. What's being told to you here? In your dealings with people, if you don't follow the advice, the guidelines, the laws of Allah, you will make things more difficult for yourselves like the Jews did, you will fall into the same traps as what they did. Did you know in Orthodox Judaism, women are not permitted to even touch the Torah scrolls? Religiously. Religiously, in any time. Not permitted to hold, not permitted to touch, not permitted to read out loud from them. Who made these laws? Did Allah say you can't do that? No. Until today, Orthodox Judaism. Women who are in their period of 
Hayd istihada. For them to do their ghusl, they have to do ghusl in what is the equivalent of a swimming pool. In Orthodox Jewish houses, they would have this built in. And even until today, in Orthodox Jewish synagogues, you have to have a large pool of water, which is this larger than kur, in order for a woman to submerge herself. Yeah, and this is why today there is breakaway where you have reformist Jews. And some of our friends here locally, there's a reformist Jewish synagogue in Edgware and Hendon, very close to us, just in Edgware actually. So Edgware and Hendon because they've combined. And we meet with the rabbi there once every two, three months. I've gone to visit them. When we talk about the differences between Orthodox and reformist, the same conversations we're having, but they're much tougher to jump from here to there. Yeah. So they made things more difficult upon themselves, Allah is saying. Right? Okay. Let's break down the chunks of verses and then conclude, inshallah. And let's see how we feel about the themes of this particular chapter. We'll try to finish in the next 10 minutes so that we know where we are. Okay. So, Sayyid al-Marja al-Mudarasi starts with the following statement. And I'm quoting him because I've translated his opening statement. He says, Women are the face of human civilization that reflects the extent of commitment of that civilization to the highest values which command to the preservation of the rights of the weakest in that society. Basically, for you to prove what kind of civilization you are, the evidence is in how you treat the weakest in your society. And women are the face of that. That pure testimony of where you are as a civilization. How you treat the weakest in your society. But women are the face of that. That's how you know where you are as a civilization. That's how you know you are as a Muslim community. And how you treat the weakest amongst you. The oppressed. The exploited. The marginalized. But at the forefront of that, the evidence, what he calls is the wajhu hidaratul bashar. The face of that civilization is how you treat women. And this is the theme of this chapter for him. Now he begins to break it down and he begins to say that there are a number of subverses or groups of verses. And initially he says, if you look, and I won't read these verses too much to you because you can just write them down and review them in your own time, inshallah. He says, firstly, if you look at verse 25, verse 33, verse 35, verse 127, verse 130, you will see here that these verses speak about the huquq of a woman. Wa bil مُنَاسِبَةِ حُقُوقِ الْأَيْتَامِ Even about the huquq of aytam and sufaha. Someone who's safi, someone who is weak-minded, foolish. Anyone in society who used to be exploited by the Arabs and the pagans. He continues. He says verses 26 to 32 speak about the hurma of wealth and the self and the protections of those things 
from people who would be exploitative either because of their jahal or their hasad. And then he said verses 36 to 40 and the necessity of doing good to those who are weak. وَحُرْمَةُ bukhal Verses 36 to 40. So the rights of those who are weak and حُرْمَةُ bukhal and the prohibition of being stingy to those people who are in need from you. Now in my reading, in my personal reading of Surah An-Nisa, Verse 1 to verse 43 is all about either addressing individual women's rights or speaking to women about idara al-bayt, about the organization, the administration of the house. This is in my reflection. He hasn't written this. I'm giving you my reflection. Thereafter from verse 44 to verse 70, in my perspective, in my view, are theological matters in regards to the groups that came before, the Jews and the Christians that came before, and how they used to falsify and forge matters. And it's a warning for you not to do the same in regards to those whom have rights over you, of all sectors of society, specifically rights of those who are indak, who are weak with you. I return back to Sayyid al-Mudarasi's views now. He says from verse 41 to 42 is a discussion on the Prophet being shahid and hakim upon you. Shahid being witness, hakim being judge upon you. Now this is interesting, the next set of verses. From verse 44 to 57, Sayyid al-Mudarasi says that these are in regards to the rights of knowledge and ensuring no forgery, what he calls tazif and tahrif. No forgery in the things that you should know. And he says, these specifically are the mas'uliyyah rijalul ilm fi adai amanatil ilm. The responsibilities of people of knowledge in returning the amanat of knowledge. People of knowledge upholding the adat, the things that you would have to use as tools of knowledge. This is important because what's being said here is that if you're going to be able to know how to treat people, by priority, 
you have to know how to be able to navigate the knowledges that are going to come to you. If you don't know how to read and don't know how to think through the matters of knowledge, then how will you be able to treat people with those rights that are upon you? So he says verses 44 to 57 are about rights of knowledge and upholding the amanat of ilm. He doesn't go into that in particular, but it's also in regards to what I had said and what my reflections were, that it's about not doing iftira ala Allah or kathib upon Allah. It's not forging misunderstandings against God. The next set of verses are very interesting. We should read some of the verses together on this. He says from verse 57 to 70 are... It is to give people their rights. And if you read verses 58, 60, 61 with me, you will see that. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, verse 58. Yamurukum. Allah commands you. Amr. Yamurukum and to addul amanati ila ahliha. Make over the trusts to the people who they belong to. وَإِذَا حَكَمْتُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَنْ تَحْكَمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ And when you judge people, judge between them with justice. Verse 60. Verse 60 talks about this as well. وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ And what was revealed before you. يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَتَحَاكَمُوا إِلَى الطَّاغُوتِ there are some they desire that you take on the judgment of the taghut. Not the judgment of Allah how to deal with people. وَقَدْ أُمِرُوا أَنْ يَكْفُرُوا بِهِ You've been commanded to deny such people. وَيُرِيدُ الشَّيْطَانُ أَنْ يُذِلَّ لَهُمْ ضَلَادًا بَعِيدًا Shaytan desires to lead them into a, you know, very much astray, to a remote level of being astray. So here these verses about Commanding to give people their rights back, generally. Now, verses 71 to 76. Specifically talk, and this is important to the theme, please note this one down. Verses 71 to 76 speak about obeying the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam during war. And it addresses the munafiqeen who either don't want to go to war or when they're on the battlefield don't obey the Prophet or they are there for the wrong purposes. Why do you think this verse in regards to An-Nisa is also talking about war? It is talking to people about when you're going to war with people, you see them as your enemies. You see them as people who you need to destroy, people who are lesser than you. Surat al-Mumtahina was about what? Giving rights to the kuffar. Here in Surat al-Nisa, Allah is expanding upon that and saying that when you have people who you think are weaker than you on the battlefield, they are your enemies. You are adversarial to them. This is a key word. When you're adversarial to people, make sure you keep to within the laws, the boundaries of the laws. Obey the Prophet in these matters. 
So now you should be building up a theme in your minds. You've got women. You've got people who are considered to be weak. You've got people who are your family members in the opening verse, the arham. You've got people who are your adversaries, people you don't like, people who are your enemies. Allah is telling you all the way about their rights on you. As much as what you demand your rights over them. Continues. Here, verses 78, 81, and 84. Sayyid al now speaks to the crux of Surat al-Nisa. And if I read it to you, it will give away everything. So pay attention. He says in verses 78, 81, 84 as an example. Fil the necessities of discipline whilst you're in war. The control of your habits whilst you're in war. When you're in war with someone, you lose your, your control. You lose your self-control. You revert to a state of anger or a state of vileness against someone. Allah is saying, or the Sayyid al is saying, these verses speak about the necessity of discipline and control in these moments. Secondly, he says in this area, and as well. So it's also about the dawr, the position, the role, the place of the qa'id, leader. Verses 88 to 91 speak about how you need to take a prudent yet firm stance against the munafiqeen. Verses 95 to 100, very important, especially when you come to read for yourself, verse 95, this speaks about struggle. Turn to verse 95. It's about the mujahideen, striving hard in the way of Allah, right? لا يستوي القاعدون من المؤمنين غير أولي الضرر والمجاهدون في سبيل الله بأموالهم وأنفسهم فضل الله المجاهدين بأموالهم وأنفسهم على القاعدين درجة There are those who Allah has made these persons to excel by virtue of their striving hard in the matters of wealth and their own persons Why wealth and own persons? Rights of how you deal with those matters. Verses 105 to 111 says, That the, the Dawla of Islam, the Islamic State, here, Dawlat al-Qanuna. It is a Dawla based on laws, regulation. Anil fasadi Away from fasad. Fayanha al-Rasul anil jadli ma'al khainin wal mukhatinin al-ladhina yuhawiluna tadlil al-Rasul. So Allah is being warned here against argumentation, against jidal. Those people who are betrayers, 
those people who seek to do tadlil, dalal against the Prophet, don't, in this sense, don't argue with them, right? Know how to deal with people properly, these verses. Verses 127 to 147 are about the necessity of taqwa and very importantly how to treat your actual enemies i'm using a word very importantly actual enemies not everyone you are against not everyone you dislike is really your enemy how to treat your actual enemies and people you have fallen out with what was the opening verse of surah an-nisa your rights Upon them and their rights upon you and your arham. How often we fall out with our family members. Brothers fall out over wealth. Husbands and wives fall out. These set of verses 127 to 147. If you're ever in need of reviewing how to deal with people who may be having enmity to you or you may have fallen out with, read these verses. And it will establish how you are supposed to treat people. Verses 150 to 160 speak about not being partial in your actions. Like the Jews and the Christians, they took some of their laws and not all of them. They rejected some of them and kept some of them. They decided to make some things harder for themselves, some things easier for themselves. If you turn to verse 160, we already talked about this, how the Jews made some things unlawful to them, even though they were things that were lawful to them. The last paragraph I will read to you from Sayyid al-Mudarasi. He says the following. In هذا الاستعراض الموجز لتفسير سورة النساء يكشف لنا الخيط الذي يربط بين موضوعاته الرئيسية وهو المجتمع الإسلامي بما فيه من القيم الحقي والعدالة والتقوى. What Surah An-Nisa is trying to present to you is to unveil lana for us al-khayt, the stitches, the lines which are related to its supreme primary topic, wahuwa al-mujtama' al-islami, a true Islamic society, and the value of adala and taqwa in dealing with different people that may be considered weaker than you. فبما فيه من حقوق المرأة واليتيم والسفيه والفقير والدفاع عن المستضعفين والمحرومين Dealing with the rights of women and the aytam, wassafih and foolish people, walfaqir the needy people, waldifa and mustadafin, and to defend the weak people, the mustadaf, the downtrodden in the society, walmahrumin the people who need mercy from you. 
and the leadership and the administration of being prudent with peoples. And then he concludes with the following statement. لا يتحدث القرآن عن المجتمع المسلم بطريقة العلمية فحسب The Quran doesn't only speak in the matters of academia, academic matters بل والتربوية أيضا It is also trying to be تربوي How do we define nurturing? nurturing. Nurturing you in regards to people who are weak in society Traditionally considered to be exploitative Or rather exploited in society So What you have here is the groups of verses What you have here is The beginning and the end You also have the hadith from the Imam or from the Prophet rather that says that when you read Surah An-Nisa you understand it you're going to be like freeing a slave and you're going to be innocent of shirk having put all these things together Surah Al-Mumtahina and what started and the sub-themes of Surah An-Nisa what do you see is the theme of Surat An-Nisa or the themes of Surat An-Nisa? How you behave? Akhlaq? Values? Justice. So the central word in the opening verse was taqwa. The central idea in the last verse was laws. The relationship between taqwa and law, being God conscious in the laws that God has set. What you also find in this surah, Allah is telling you, I'm going to take you back to people. He shows you two types of people. Ala millati Ibrahim, those who truly followed the path of Ibrahim, and those who claimed to follow the path of Ibrahim, the Jews and the Christians that actually left some of their laws changed their laws to make it harder upon themselves. And so Allah then decided, I'll make it harder for you, no problem. That's the way you want to play me? That's how I'll play you. But if you have taqwa in your laws, it won't be this way for you. Now Allah then says about all those who are considered weak in society, women, orphans, weak-minded, impoverished, and those people who you dislike, Surah Mumtahina talked about the rights of the kuffar and the mushrikeen. This expanded upon it. Those who you're going to war with, even they have rights and this is how you behave with them. Because there's going to be times, most of the times in Islamic history, we won the wars. It's only a few times we either drew or lost the war. How are you going to treat such people that you have enmity towards or you have the upper hand over? The theme of Surah An-Nisa is this. Discipline, discipline, upholding the rights of those in society who are traditionally seen as weaker than you. For you are expecting them to give you your rights. The fact that they are weaker than you 
demands that you first have to give them their rights. Surat al-Nisa is focused on this theme. All the different groups in society that might be exploited, it teaches you how to treat them, respond to them, and not to change the laws for your own desires, lest you become like the Jews and Christians, and actually it will backfire on you. You think that you're making it better for yourselves by changing these laws. In reality, Allah will make it difficult for you. Keep within the laws of Allah through taqwa and adala, and you will see how each of those groups will give each other their rights. The same way in al-mumtahina, these group rights were given, and Nisa goes deeper into this theme. It goes further into that one subject matter of different groups who have different rights and how you are supposed to respond to them. Now think about this. Baqarah was about what? Setting up the ummah and learning from the mistakes of the Jews. Ad Imran was about learning from the mistakes of the Christians. The fourth chapter of the Quran if you're reading it like you and I are reading it from start to finish, the fourth chapter of the Quran is on the du'afa. It starts by building your society from the weakest upwards. Very beautiful. And we will always have weaker groups in society. In our community, nay, in our family units as well. And Allah is guiding us on our relationships with them and how they have rights over us and we build their rights up from their point of weakness to a point of strength. This is the fourth chapter of the Quran, Allah hamaki. This is the fourth chapter of the Quran and it shows you how we are building the foundations of an ummah. Baqarah, ummah building oriented. Ad Imran, ummah building oriented. And Nisa, about the du'afa amongst us and raising their stations and giving to them their rights and not allowing our own desires to take over us in dealing with them in these matters. This is the theme of Surah An-Nisa. Insha'Allah, this has been of benefit. Again, I repeat as I repeat every week, as per the statement of His Eminence Sayyid Taba Taba'i, Rahmatullahi Ta'ala Alayhi, when he reads a themed surah, he reads every verse in light of that theme. And if he was to interpret a verse outside of that theme, he has misinterpreted that verse. So when you read Surah An-Nisa, primarily you and I want to read it in light of the overarching theme, which is giving those who are du'afa and different groups their rights. Walhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallillahumma ala sayyidina wa nabiyyina Muhammad wa alihi tahirin.